Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Jeremy Silva. He's the founder of Build Soil. Uh, we're going to talk about what it means to build soil, uh, making organic fertilizer, etc. So uh, welcome, Jeremy. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, tell me if you would a bit about your background and then how you got into uh, fertilizer and compost and those kinds of things. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so I started Build a Soil from my garage and I did that 11, 12 years ago now. And part of the catalyst for that was that I grew up in a cul-de-sac. So when I moved to Colorado, I was fascinated by the just having a home garden, homesteading, all the things that were different from how I was raised. And so to me, there was a disconnect because I just wasn't grown that way or I wasn't raised that way. And it was really fascinating. What I mean by that is when you grow up on a cul-de-sac, you don't see much food growing. And now all of a sudden there's farms all over when I moved to Colorado in 09. And you get a seed and you put it in the soil and it's almost like having a 3D printer and like the blueprint for it. And you put it in there and it starts to produce and it's unbelievable. So I basically got fascinated with it, became a hobbyist, an enthusiast. And then I started going deeper and I was looking at world record pumpkin growers and world record tomato growers and soil testing and compost. And most of what I researched, when I started, there was so much information, it was overwhelming. And eventually I found mm-hmm. that I really wanted to focus on mimicking nature and following the more natural approach. And once I chose that, I realized there was a lot of missing information and a lack of ability to find these premium products that a lot of the enthusiasts were using. You couldn't just go to the garden store and buy it. So once I found that out, I decided that I would be great at answering people's questions. I could help them get better results and I could offer those rare products. And that's what started Build a Soil. And it's been an, uh, just a continuing passion since then. And I swear every month we learn something new. There's no end of new things to learn great. the soil and the garden. So, what, okay, when you say build build soil, uh, are you building, are you helping people produce compost or are there other things that fall into the, you know, what it means yep. to build soil? So, the name of the business is Build a Soil. And it came out of the term of, Hey, I'd like to build a soil today. And most people doing that were trying to mix a potting soil recipe. And then eventually we started working with a lot of farms that are actually trying to build the soil that they own into something more productive. And so those are the two paths that someone may take. And either way, what we were able to leverage, a unique factor for build a soil, was that instead of just kind of offering a bag of soil like at Home Depot, we wanted to find out what would make a better version. And Instead of putting out what's the lightest weight, cheapest way to make something a plant would grow in and market it for profit, we decided to say, what would we do from scratch at home? And we found that not only do you need compost, but the big problem with compost was that if we wanted to teach someone to grow over the phone or the internet, you could tell them, go buy this much compost and put it in your mix. But the variety and quality of compost from state to state and from region to region is vast. And so it's easier to tell someone, go buy this chemical. It's the same at every garden store. And so what we did is we started doing testing to determine what makes quality compost. How do we identify that? 
how do we share this message? And to this day, compost is still one of the harder parts because if someone goes on Craigslist and just finds compost locally, it's like Russian roulette. It could be phenomenal. It could be terrible. And when you're just broadcasting some compost on, on a large piece of land, it's acceptable to not have it be the best compost because you're at least adding organic matter and you're not really mixing it in, you're spreading it. But when you're making it potting soil, we want to use between 10 and 35% compost, depending on the recipe. And it can dramatically affect the quality of the finished product. So our standard recipe that we first learned when we started is three parts, one part compost, one part Canadian sphagnum peat moss, and one part aeration. We use pumice. The big box stores sell potting soil with perlite. And our soil, we want people to keep forever, not to throw it away. Makes it more sustainable. And the perlite crushes and goes away over time. So we learned that the pumice works better and it's naturally mined from volcanic substance. And so when you mix those together, we send it to the lab and we find out what's missing from a macronutrient, micronutrient that would be good for fast growing annual plants, like all of our vegetables, house plants, things that are, you know, generally like a certain range. And we produced a soil, several recipes that that meet those parameters. And so now when someone goes and they try our potting soil, they're getting something that is at the soil lab looks to be in the proper order of nutrients, the right pH, the right mixture, and they get really good results. But then we go beyond that and we're hoping to teach people to not be dependent on our bag soil, but to learn how to make their own. And then eventually on acreage, as we, we talked about, people will also get a soil test for their farm, for their orchard, for their backyard. And we can help, help them navigate what that test means and what to add to their soil to make sure that it not only produces good results, but those crops that they consume now for themselves are more nutrient dense and better to nourish their body. All right. So a couple of definitions here. How do I know how much compost I need? I know it varies on what's in my soil, what's not, what I'm growing, yeah. et cetera. But so what's the scenario? Are you like trying to make a... like a raised bed for a garden or are you trying to amend an acre for, you know, growing a crop? Or what do you think the main goal well, for I'm gonna ask you for, for homesteaders? Do you go by like, let's say I'm going to plant, you know, a thousand square feet of plants. I don't know how you'd express it. Linear feet, square feet, whatever. Yeah, so a lot of times- How do I know how much compost would I need? Is there a calculation where you could estimate it? There are some calculations. And when it comes to native soil, we prefer to look at a soil test because that'll really truly tell us. There are some obvious approximations that you can use. And so the way we've done it is on our vegetable farm, we typically have like a 30 inch wide bed so you can reach it from both sides and maybe it's a 50 foot bed. And so you can calculate- the amount of row feet that you might do for that type of bed, and you can make a general recommendation. And so usually it comes against affordability in that regard. Like meaning it's, if you're getting really premium compost or you're making it from scratch, it's pretty hard to overdo it. So a lot of times we're just trying to justify what the budget will allow for that year, to add compost. The way we do it- And if I want to, if my alternative is to go to the store and buy bags of fertilizer, and yep. bags of soil or whatever, what, what do the economics of it look like? Like, is it just as expensive to generate your own compost or is it cheaper? And, and again, how much is needed? Yep. So when you're making compost, typically the expense that most people don't allocate and why they end up buying it is the time. So if they've planned ahead a little bit and can make their own compost, that's the cheapest, best way to go. Normally what happens is people call during garden season and they say, hey, I want to get going now. And so for a 50 foot long bed that is of general normal width, we would recommend usually adding a bale or two of peat moss if it's soil like ours that's very alkaline. And along with that, we would typically like to add at least five to 10 cubic feet, five to 10 bags of compost for that row length. And you'll get 
much better results that year. But again, this is why we started build a soil is a lot of times it's more convoluted. Sometimes it's a larger area and people will take the compost. They'll brew compost tea instead because it's more economic. And they'll use that as a liquid organic fertilizer throughout the growing season. But typically when I'm setting up a fresh garden and I've got fresh native soil, we're trying to affect the texture more than anything the first year. You can always add some organic fertilizer, but if it's rock hard and it doesn't have a good texture, it's not going to have a good root system and produce as well. So oftentimes what we'll do is we'll add small amounts of compost, minerals. And for instance, here in Western Colorado, we always add gypsum to the soil and it's very, very important. And so we actually have a blog post how to make your own complete organic fertilizer. And typically that's a great step for people to use in their own backyard garden. Because when you have something complete that has the minerals, the calcium, as well as the main NPK, everything will grow very, very well. And the texture is the main difference. So that's why we add lots of compost. What does the texture have to do with anything? I thought you were talking about nutrient density or you know yep. yield or things like that. So like, yep. what are some of the metrics that compost helps with and you know how much does it help? So when you add compost, we're adding organic matter to typical native soil that doesn't have any. And organic matter acts as a buffer to release the nutrients, to slowly break down over time, uh, in increase the water holding. And one of the things that we're talking about in the conversation with compost is the biology. And so when you have a dead native soil that's kind of rock hard, can't put a shovel in it, moistening it might help loosen it a little bit. But unless you improve the structure of it, you're not going to able to hold enough air and water in there for the biology to do its job, to deliver the nutrients. It makes it much harder for roots to grow into. So by applying compost to the top or by you know, amending it and working it into the top layer very slightly when we first start, we create a better texture. And when the plant starts to grow, that will enable it to hold the water and hold some air without being completely devoid of air because it's so hard. And then that will allow that process for the biology that's on the compost to release nutrients, make it available, and the plants do significantly better. And so ideal would be like our potting soil. It's as fluffy as can get. It's got the most amount of nutrients without causing problems. And that's about 20 to 30% compost by volume. That's a lot. And so when we look at like one acre, six inches deep, that's 807 cubic yards. So for us to put on an acre, 20% compost, you know, we're looking at the 160 yards of compost, which to put it in perspective is, oh, let's see, 412. So that's four massive truckloads, semi-truckloads full for one acre. That's too much. And so typically what we're doing when we have a home garden is we're usually building raised beds so that we can increase that fertility right away. If not, there'll be a fenced off area with a number of rows to plant the crops. And we'll recommend make a recommendation for each row so that they can add the compost and the minerals. Now, here's the thing. On your lettuce patch, you may not need to add nearly as much. One or two cubic feet, just two bags of compost across a 50-foot row would be fine. But if you're producing more intensive like tomatoes, peppers, things that might need a little more to produce, we would double that of them. Before we continue... I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. 
Now back to the show. Okay. Again, I don't know if you could put some numbers on it, but like how much does compost uh, increase yield? You know, have you done nutrient analyses? Like how much does good organic compost increase the nutrient levels? It depends on the compost. And that's why this gets more challenging, right? If you have a compost pile, it can vary from year to year. You'd have to test in the lab where we have mixed organic amendments that are dried plant materials and minerals. Those are going to have a reliable amount of nutrients every time you use them or compost. It varies a lot. So we carry a uh, fish compost from the Pacific Northwest. We carry a biodynamic cattle compost from Organic Dairy Farm, and that's um, Malibu Biodynamic Compost, and they have different nutrient profiles. And so that's why we recommend soil testing because we want to maximize the budget. And oftentimes, most of the fertility is done through the dry amendments and minerals, and the compost is added as an extra to make sure that now those minerals and nutrients you added to this dead soil, when you add the compost, now you have the buffer that allows it to hold the moisture, have all the biology that break down those soil amendments you added. And once they're broken down biology, the plants can take them up. So the compost is kind of that missing link there. It's what you think of when you think of beautiful, dark, rich soil. And if you're looking at hard clay, sandy, you know, it doesn't look like good garden soil. Compost is going to be the quickest way to get there. Now, there's arguments over this in the sense that To make compost, a lot of times a farmer has to grow plants, take the material off the acreage, go pile it in a pile, get the browns and greens right, turn it several times, and then go spread it back out. So the organic no-till movement is more about growing cover crop right on the property and then terminating that cover crop by crimping it so that all of that organic matter dies and essentially turns into compost right there on the property without having to pile it, spread it. And so depending on what your method is, you're going to have to stick a plant and stick with it. So on acreage, a lot of times we're, we're growing the compost in place and the cover crop not only takes nitrogen from the air, fixes it to the soil, it breaks up and goes deep and improves the, the texture. But when you chop it and drop it before it goes to seed, you're now releasing all of that nutrient that was from the soil in a much more organic form because now it's plant matter instead of mineral and it dies on the surface of the soil. And doing that for a year or two, can completely change the structure. We have local farms that are 8.5, 8.6 pH and very difficult to grow in. And after two successive crops of cover crop, it looks like a premium farm soil and they're able to get significantly better results. But for the home gardener with a backyard, growing cover crop and terminating and do all these things, it might be easier to just add extra bags of compost that's finished. Does, does that make sense? Well, how much easier is it if you do cover crop versus trying to just make discrete compost in a big heap? And then, it takes you know, shovel it onto the soil. It takes more planning to make the, to do the cover crop and have a plan in place for how long it's going to take to grow, when to terminate it, versus if you just are able to buy really good compost, you're ready to go. And then, of course, making compost is a whole different subject. It takes typically a few different attempts at it to get those ratios right and the moisture right. But once you know how to make compost, it, is a lot cheaper. You could get bags of leaves that are left out, talk to your neighbors and friends to bring you their organic matter so you can pile it up. There's always ways to save. But when it comes to like the fastest results, oftentimes we're recommending people build their raised beds garden. It doesn't take a lot of area to feed yourself the amount of food most of our customers want. And so we'll help them build that potting soil from scratch or get a soil test and design the amendments that they'd be adding to the soil. And I know I'm being vague, but a soil in the Pacific Northwest where it's all volcanic versus one in the high desert might take a very different application as far as the level well, of well, give, me, give me some examples. So like uh, I'm in Texas. We do have like a lot of, you know, limestone and hard clays and all that. How would I do compost differently from somewhere in the Pacific Northwest? Like what would I do? What would I put into it differently? Or you know, how do I make sure it has the right nutrient mix for me? 
So really making compost is very similar, but when we were to test the soil, one soil might already be neutral on pH and it might have plenty of nutrients in it just based on the fact it's in a very abundant region. Like if you're in a good soil on Hawaii or good soil in Washington where there was volcanic activity versus in the middle of a of a big area in Texas that may not have had that same activity, it might be devoid. And so now it's very important that the the level of compost has more nutrition in it. And for instance, there's local compost that if you were to just add in the same percentages we normally add, it'd be too much. There's too much available nutrients in it. And so when you get the soil test and you find a local compost, most of these yards will have an analysis on it. That's where you put the two together. You say, I have my soil test. I have a few samples of what's available near me. Which one fits the best? And we do that. Because around here, if we're at 8.5 pH and the local compost is 9 pH, because it was made from these similar inputs, it's not going to be helpful. I would rather give you our fish compost that is in the 6.4 pH and it has a lot higher calcium availability, things that are going to be good in our particular problem. And so mm. we're talking about specifics like this, like which compost, how much we get, well, wait, we have to wait, so like, yeah, I'll ask you about the testing in a minute, but so have people grown stuff, put compost on it and it's gotten worse? If it makes the pH like even more basic, let's say, or yeah, it's possible. It the so sometimes, like I've tested some local composts that are so high in potassium and sodium that when you add it during that initial growing season, it can actually lock out a lot of the nutrients. Other times, you'll find compost that's very woody and maybe not fully finished. And so when you add it, it looks good; it has a nice brown texture. But the amount of wood chips that were in it, the biology in the soil goes to break down the carbon in the wood. And it essentially robs all your nitrogen until that carbon is finished cycling. And it could take an entire season. And so we're looking like in our fish compost, it's fully finished. It takes years to make. It's dark black. It has lots of nitrogen. So that would make it a, a significant improvement the first year where the latter compost that was more woody, it might be great a year or two from now. But if you're expecting results this year, the carbon is going to tie up some nitrogen. It might have excessive potassium. And those are the typical things when I test for compost. In fact, most of the times what we're adding to a compost along with it around here, a lot of the homesteaders, what they would do is they would go get their compost locally, whether it was just manure from the chicken yard or from the, the cattle yard, and it was aged for a couple of years. They would put that in their garden, but they would add bone meal. And the main reason is bone meal has calcium and phosphorus, which is typically the biggest missing components from a regular compost. And the two of those together would would essentially be a complete nutrition. And so when we're looking to investigate what we'll carry for build the soil so that if, if someone lives anywhere in the country, they can expect the compost they get from us to be the best. We're testing it so we know it has high calcium. It's got good phosphorus levels. It's got low sodium. It doesn't have lots of bicarbonate or chlorides. That's what we do. But when you just go in Texas and go to the local compost yard, it may have high sodium, higher bicarbonates, and nature will work that out, but it might take a year or two. And those are the differences in quality that we're trying to share with people. Very good. Well, Jeremy, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. 
This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.